0: Please have God's word open in front of you and our text this morning is verses 16 through 22 of Matthew 19 and uh, counting the cost and uh, Matthew under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit lays bare the cost once again of following Jesus Christ and what the true gospel actually is and we see that there must be that turning away and abandoning of everything in order to know Christ, to know that genuine salvation in him. And we see this young man, he comes for eternal life, but when faced with that choice, he is unwilling to forsake all. He had his possessions, and then there was Jesus Christ, and as he weighed those things up, ultimately, his possessions won, but he would lose everything. The cost of following Christ was too much for him. And in verse 16, we see that there is this amazing question, really, about what he must do to obtain, to get, to have eternal life. What must I do, he says. And that term, eternal life, is mentioned around 50 times in the scripture. It is one of the most incredible blessings of being a true Christian. Arguably the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And, you know, in our evangelism, as we seek to reach out, we seek to engage with people, speak to them about the gospel, about the Lord Jesus. We try to reason and persuade and speak of eternal things. And, you know, friends, it's not easy at times to make any ground. And yet here comes this young man, and he just asks right up, what good thing shall I do that I may have an eternal life? And you just think, well, what an opportunity to be presented. He seems so eager. He seems ready, right for the gospel. And if we met him, no doubt we would have great hopes. And presented with such an opportunity, some would be tempted to make it as easy as possible for this young man just to decide for Christ or something like that. But the Savior, knowing his heart, challenges him in such a way that he's actually going to turn around and walk away now for many of the evangelistic programs and methods that would be a disaster but that is the problem and that's why the truth of this passage is so important for us today there are so many unbiblical and worldly success driven modes of evangelism that many have lost sight of what the gospel actually is what true conversion actually is and the worst Situation that arises from this is that there is an assuring of people that they're saved when they're not. And so we need to ask this morning, what does this encounter tell us about the gospel? What does it tell us about what it means to obtain eternal life? Well, let's look at the passage together and just to draw out a number of things. Firstly, we see that there must be a longing for life. See that in verse 16. This man comes to Jesus and he knows what he wants. He wants eternal life. He had many things, but he did not have eternal life. And what is more, he knew it. There was something that troubled him. It says that he was young, verse 20, that he was rich, verse 22, great possessions. Luke 18 adds that he was a a ruler, most likely a ruler in the synagogue. So it's likely he was a Jewish religious leader, young, wealthy, influential. And he must have been devout. He must have been uh, there outstanding in his religious further because it was rare that a young man would be appointed as a ruler in a synagogue. And so this is a significant man in that culture and religious environment. That's why it says in verse 16, now behold, As in, this is something to take note of. This is something exceptional that a man like this would come to Jesus publicly, and even though he's a religious leader, admit openly that he didn't have eternal life. And so there's this this longing, this stirring in his heart for satisfaction. He felt something was missing. He had no rest in his soul. Now, friends, the Jews understood the concept of eternal life. They understood something of being able to respond to the divine environment. They saw it in terms of life in a better age to come. Now, friends, when we consider this in the light of the gospel, when a person becomes a true believer, when they trust in Christ, the Bible says that they're made alive to God. So eternal life is not just about the length of that life, the quantity of that life. It is about the quality of that life. It is that relationship with the Lord Jesus, being able to know him and to respond to him. You see, outside of Christ, we're dead in sin. We are unresponsive. We are incapable of anything in terms of God and spiritual things. But when we are saved by grace, we are granted life. The ability to respond to the Lord and all that is associated with that, and it is that life, which is the result of the new birth. Not just the length, but the quality. To know God, to be alive to God, all of that means. And so this young man, he knows that there is something lacking in his life. He knew that for everything that he had, he didn't have what was needed to fully respond to the divine, to God and the blessings of that. He knew that he did not possess the life of God in his soul. He knew that he didn't talk with God and commune with God. He knew it was a quality of life for all his religiosity, which he missed. Do you know, friends, it is our prayer that more would have an awareness of what they are missing. You know, may that be you this morning, if you're not a believer, that you would see that there is a great lack in your life without Jesus Christ. And so there's a longing for life. But then we also see in verse 16, he has an awareness of a deep need. So it's not just that he he longed for eternal life, but he felt that need. You know, there are some who are not alive to God and they don't care about it. You know, the vast majority around us, you know, they're not interested, they don't care. They don't see the relevance. They live their life without any reference to God. But this man knew his longing had some feeling of need there is an intensity and there is an earnestness in the question look at what he says good teacher what good thing shall i do that i may have eternal life again in verse 20 what do i lack for all his religious endeavors his possessions there is that frustration there is that lack even desperation that something is missing And even though as he saw it, he'd avoided external sin, kept all the man-made laws, was respected by the people, was upright, religious, a leader, yet he's got this need. And then we see also that he's a diligent seeker. You know, friends, throughout the Scriptures, there are some amazing verses which speak of true seekers. Jeremiah 29, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Now, this young man, is moved to go and seek Jesus. It says one came. So he goes, and in the parallel passage in Mark 10, it says that he actually comes running to Jesus. So there's a, an intensity, there's an urgency. He wants to get this matter sorted. Now, no doubt there was a, a large crowd gathered around the Lord as well as the disciples. And this man just goes right into the crowd. He's not concerned about whether he might be known. He's not concerned about what the crowd might think, that he's a ruler of the synagogue and doing this. He's not embarrassed. Such is the importance of this matter. He is not worried about confessing publicly that he doesn't have eternal life, even in his position. Do you know, Mark also says that not only did he run to Jesus, but he got on his knees before Jesus. So he's in that position of humility. He acknowledges his lack. And that takes something for a man like that to do that. But he's serious, he's he's anxious, he's diligent in seeking, even though it would mean exposing vulnerability before the people. You know, these are all such encouraging things. He feels that the Lord Jesus is going to give him the answer he wants and he will certainly give him answers. We know that, but it won't be the answers that he wants. You see, for all the encouraging things that we can point out and highlight here, this young man is still very centered on himself. He wants to add something to his life. He wants for him to have satisfaction, but he was not ready for the exposure he was about to face. But he does not only seek diligently, but he comes to the right source. Again, look at verse 16. He comes to Jesus Again, Acts 4, 12, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That is such a clear truth. But you know, there are many people who want to find satisfaction for their souls, who want life, who search hard, but they're looking in the wrong place. You know, the enemy, he is very clever, and he set up all manner of counterfeits, and he promises so much. And people are pursuing all manner of things which they think will give them what their heart desires, but they will not find eternal life. And so there is this there. But this young man, he comes to the right source. 1 John 5, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. We are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. So he's at the right source. And no doubt he'd heard of the power of the Lord Jesus, the authority of his teaching. He calls him master, teacher. And he calls the Lord Jesus good. And in the sense there in the original is that he says that Jesus is inwardly good. And so it's, it's a courtesy, but there's a bit more there than that. He acknowledges that Jesus is someone apart. Now, does this young man believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Does he believe that he's the Messiah? Well, no. There's nothing to indicate that. But the power and ministry of the Lord Jesus had convinced him that he could give him some insight on getting eternal life. And so he comes to the right source. But he doesn't know the true fullness of the one to whom he came. And then in verses 16 to 17, he asks the right question, as we have mentioned you know, he says, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Now, there are some who say, well, that wasn't a very good question. Because they say, oh, well, that's, that's works-based. And so you can tell that there's a problem. But the thing is, friends, he was starting with what he knew. He was trained to think that you had to do religious things to secure divine blessing. And so there's no attempt to trick the Lord Jesus. It is just a straight question from his point of view. How do I get eternal life? What must I do? Now, friends, before we look at the response of the Lord Jesus, we have to realize this. That, you know, a person might have an interest in the gospel. They might even have an interest in salvation and yet not be saved. One says we must never forget that good feelings alone in religion are not the grace of God. We may know the truth intellectually. We may even have known some challenge in our conscience. We have many, may have many anxieties about our soul, even shed tears, but all that is not conversion. It is not the genuine saving work of the Holy Spirit. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you've heard the gospel many, many, many times. You know, maybe even at times you've had, you know, some desire to know more of the gospel. But friend, don't rest in feelings. You need to repent and believe. You need to know that you have the witness of the spirit in you, that you are born again, that you are a new creation. You need to know that you have really repented and believed the gospel, trusted Christ. As one says, it is good to feel, but it is far better to be converted. And so he comes with all these positive signs, but then the Lord Jesus meets him. And he highlights that there is a need for conviction and repentance. You know, the response of the Lord Jesus to some might seem surprising. You know, no doubt many would have, you know, just got him to make that profession or to pray a prayer or something like that, and that would be it. But Jesus deals with him very firmly. In verse 17, he responds and he says, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He says, why are you asking me what is good? Why do you think there's some hidden thing? There is only one that is good, that is good, and that is God, and he has made it clear that to have life, you've got to obey him and keep his commandments. And so Jesus is saying, you know what they are as a religious leader. You know the word of God, you know the revelation of God, you know the law of God, it's all there for you. The Lord Jesus knows his heart, and he knows the issue. You see, this man, this young man wants the benefits of eternal life to give him happiness and peace and joy. He wants his need met, but he doesn't understand what true life is. You know, if the gospel was, you know, just come along and and find happiness, come and get released from all your worries, come and all your troubles will disappear, no doubt there would be many who are interested in following Jesus, especially if they could get that with no cost. But that's not what the Bible says. And so Jesus confronts this young man with God with the truth of God, the holiness of God, his perfect standard, and nobody can meet that standard apart from the Lord Jesus, and that's the point. You see, the problem with this young man is that in all of his approach so far, he has no awareness that he is a sinner. There's been no mention of it. He has no awareness of the fact that he has offended a holy God, and that is crucial in understanding the truth of the gospel. The Lord Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came to rescue sinners. Salvation is for those who want to turn from sin and death and hell to God. To see that they are at enmity with God in rebellion against him and they want to be delivered from that. And only God can bring that type of conviction, that awareness. A person has to know their desperate state without Christ their lostness, their hopelessness, the condemnation they face because of their sin and because of that be willing to forsake all things to come to the Savior because there's no one else to go because only he has the words of eternal life. And true gospel witness will do that. It will take the imperfect sinner and set them against the perfect law of God. Without that, we lack the biblical emphasis and balance the seriousness of sin, and yet the amazing grace and deliverance of God. It's easy to attract a crowd with a message of meeting felt needs. But it's not the gospel. And just telling people that God loves them, has a wonderful plan for their life regardless, that is not it. The Bible says that God is angry with sinners every day. A good, holy, pure God cannot tolerate evil. So here the Lord Jesus affirms that truth, that God is perfect, the divine law must be kept, but as breakers of the law at enmity with God, people are under judgment. You know, there is nothing from this rich young ruler that suggests that he has any mourning over sin, any meekness, any sadness that he has offended a holy God. There are none of those beatitude attitudes which highlight a genuine work of God. And so Jesus begins to expose his heart. But then, remarkably, this young man comes back with another response. He says in verse 18 to the Lord Jesus, he said, well, which ones? It's an amazing response. He cannot see the true state of his heart. He still thinks that he's good enough. And so the Lord Jesus gives him the second part of the Ten Commandments, primarily dealing with conduct towards people. And he also adds, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the first part of the Ten Commandments is regarding man's relation to God. And the second part, man's relation to others. Both are impossible to keep. But there might be those who would think that they could keep those second ones. You know, I haven't murdered anybody. You know, I haven't committed adultery. But you see, the Savior is setting him against the law to show this young man he is not where he thinks he is. And again, when there is true conversion, the person, when faced with the perfect divine standard, when convicted, realizes how far they've fallen short. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There'll be that realization that they are sinners in rebellion against God have broken his law and so they are lost. Galatians 3:24, therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. You know, we can't understand grace and mercy without knowing the truth of experience of conviction of sin and the guilt of that. But not this your man. Verse 20, he goes back to Jesus and he says, all these things, I've kept them. I've kept them from my youth. It's a staggering thing. And it shows how he sees the laws just as surface, external. He doesn't see the problem with his heart. And in his response, he's lying. And so he's showing his heart. There's no way that he'd loved his neighbor as himself. You see, the the Jews had externalized the law. And when the Lord Jesus came, he actually gave it the true application. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, when you hate someone in your heart, you've committed murder in your heart. When you look at someone to lust after them, you commit adultery in your heart. When you make false promises, you lie. And he said to them, you might look good on the outside, but inside you're ruined, you're sinful, you're unrighteous. And they didn't understand the internal character of the law of God. And so this young man, he's convinced that he's fine. He's convinced that he's good enough for God. He's convinced that he's an outstanding religious leader. And this is the problem. He wanted to find something to satisfy that longing in his heart, but he didn't grasp his true need. For anyone to be rescued, they need to know they need rescuing. He didn't. He thought he was righteous. He thought he just needed some secret thing to be unlocked, to add on, but that is not salvation. That is not who Jesus came for. Not the righteous. Sinners, Jesus came to say. One put it like this, when you see that men have been wounded by the law, only then it is time to pour in the gospel oil. It is the needle of the law that pulls through the scarlet thread of the gospel. You have to wound them before you can sew them up. And when Jesus confronted him with his sin, the reality of his heart was exposed and he was so, so far away. And the ignorance of this young man is only too common even in churches today. J.C. Ryle, even those many years, put it like this. He says, thousands fill churches and chapels weekly who are utterly in the dark as to the full extent of man's sinfulness. They cling to the old notion that their own doings can save them. Conviction of sin, repentance, that is essential in true conversion. That's what the Lord Jesus is demonstrating once again. Now, this young man, due to this lack of awareness, he's perplexed. and He says, well, I've done all this. What do I lack? In his eyes, he, he could understand where, where he was lacking. And, you know, that's the great deception of works religion. He believed he was righteous. He believed he kept the law. He believed he'd met the requirements. Friend, maybe you're like that this morning. Maybe deep down you think, well, I'm, I'm good enough for God. I live a good life. I, I do my best. And, you know, I try and help people where I can. And, you know, I, I'm good enough. I think that will be okay. Don't be under that deception. There is none righteous. The only one to have ever kept the law was the one to whom this young man was speaking, the Lord Jesus. And it's the righteousness of Christ that is at the very heart of our salvation. He achieved a perfect righteousness which he gives to all who trust in him. And we are justified before God only in Christ, Christ alone. You know, it says at this point in mark 10:21 that in this conversation that's taking place jesus looking at him loved him loved him for all the arrogance for all the self righteousness jesus saw this lost man in front of him and he loved him he pitied him but it didn't mean that the requirements changed He loved him enough to confront him with the truth, but this man was still hard in his heart, confident in himself, and you cannot know God, you cannot follow Christ with a heart attitude like that. And so Jesus loved him, but he let him go. You see, to know eternal life, there has to be that confession of sin, repentance, that turning, that casting of ourselves on Christ, and that in itself is a gift of grace, a work of the Holy Spirit. And then as we draw it together to a close, Jesus also lays out the need for submission and obedience in true conversion. Verse 21, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor. The Lord Jesus identifies a specific issue and it's this man's possessions. In other words, he is saying to him, do you realize that I am more valuable than all of your earthly riches. If you want my treasure, you must be willing to give up all of that to sell everything and then you will have treasure in heaven. And that was the test. Would he come on the Lord's terms? Would he submit? Would he obey? Was his desire for eternal life and true eternal life more than riches in this world? Was it more than self? You know, when a person is converted, not only do they know conviction of sin, not only do they know that repentance, but they turn to Christ. They run to Christ. They believe in Christ, his person, his word. They see him as the savior, the only hope that they've got. And they're willing to follow him wherever he leads and whatever the cost. Now, that doesn't mean that all of us who believe have to sell everything immediately like this young man but there must be that willingness to lay aside all to obey the Savior in whatever way he asks of us. For some, it might be a job. For some, it might be a relationship. For some, it's possessions, money, house, car. For some, it's a certain sin that they want to cling on to. For some, it's an idol that they treasure. For this young man, it was his money. It was his possessions, his status, and the cost was too great. You see, he needed to set aside those things and follow Christ to gain lasting treasure, to gain salvation, but he was not willing. And I ask you this morning, are you clinging to something that will ruin your soul? Are you clinging to something that is preventing you from giving yourself to Jesus Christ and trusting him? You know, when we are in Matthew 13, we considered the parables of the Hidden treasure, the pearl of great price. And in both parables, the men sold all that they had to get the pearl and to get the land where the treasure was. Now, it wasn't saying that they bought their salvation. We can't buy or earn salvation. It is God's free gift of grace, not of works. But it is reminding us that there is a cost, there is a transaction, there is an exchange, and it's this I give up all I have. And God graciously gives me the treasure of immeasurable value. Jesus says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul. You see, when God is at work in our lives, we willingly give up all we have for Christ, to know him as Lord and Saviour. That's salvation. I wonder if you've done that this morning. You see, this young man wouldn't come on those terms. Verse 22, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. His possessions were more important to him than salvation in Christ. And, you know, it's such a contrast. You know, you think of someone like Zacchaeus, the tax collector. He wanted to follow the Lord Jesus and the Lord dealt with him and so much so that he would then give everything back and in some cases, fourfold. Why? Because he realized that knowing Jesus Christ was worth more than all the riches this world can offer. He counted the cost and followed the Savior. This young man he walked away with his money, and yet he lost everything. And the truth of Luke 14, comes to bear. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. You see, this young man, he'd been shown his condition. He'd been shown that he was a sinner at enmity with God. All his religious works couldn't change that. And then in the very presence of the Son of God, the Savior, the one who could deliver him, he walked away because he loved the riches of this world. He had come for something of eternal value and he had left without it and it is a tragedy. And Friends, it would be a tragedy this morning if you came and heard of the Lord Jesus Christ and you walked away without eternal life. And I plead with you, will you not hear these vital truths this morning? The call of the gospel. If you are not a believer this morning, you need to know that you're a sinner, that you've broken God's law, that you have rebelled against him and there is nothing that you can do that can make that right. And if you remain in that condition, you will face condemnation, you will face eternal punishment. But God has provided the way by which sinners like you and like me can be saved. And it's in Jesus Christ alone. And he lived that perfect life. He fulfilled the law on our behalf and then he died on the cross to pay the price for sin, dying in the place of those who would trust in him, their substitute, to take the punishment that they deserve that they might be delivered and go free. And then he rose again in mighty triumph and he conquered death and in him is life and life in all its fullness and forgiveness and reconciliation to God. But you must come on his terms, repenting of your sin and trusting in him as Lord and Savior no matter the cost. It is my prayer that you will not go out sorrowful but having counted the cost, that you would find life in Jesus Christ. Because there is nothing that compares, dear friends, nothing that compares to knowing him, knowing that you're forgiven and right with God and a certain hope both in life and in death and for all eternity. And so the question is, have you heard his call this morning? Have you heard his call all to leave and follow him? I pray that you would trust Christ, no life, not like this rich and ruling and the tragedy of the one who went with nothing. Amen.